This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Welcome back to Rewritten Me. In the first episode of the series, I talked to Dr. Joe Dusseldorp about strategies or approaches that can be considered for Dieppe reconstruction when tissue is taken from the abdomen and used to reconstruct a breast or breasts. One of those strategies related to sensation and nerve preservation. Breast sensation is something that can be extremely important to women and it can be very distressing when it's lost after a mastectomy. I had no feeling in my right breast after my mastectomy. And when I had a Dieppe reconstruction 12 months later, my surgeon attempted to reconstruct some of the nerves in my breast, but parts of it are still really numb, really. And there are areas along my abdominal scar where I have no feeling at all. Surgeons across the world have been listening to women's concerns about sensation and developing new techniques for preserving nerves and reconstructing them, including operations like resensation and true sense in the United States. In 2021 in Australia, Dr. Joe Dusseldorp and Associate Professor Cindy Mack started prospectively performing surgeries focused on restoring sensation and measuring the results of this approach. And I'm really excited that they're both here today to tell us more about this approach or strategy and what their results have been. Dr. Cindy Mack is a breast surgeon and the Director of Breast Services and Head of Department Breast Surgery at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse. She's a visiting medical officer at Breast Green, New South Wales, and on the board of Sydney Breast Cancer Foundation. She's an active member of Breast Surge ANZ, the Society for Surgeons Treating Breast Cancer, and is an honorary scientific officer at the Garvin Institute. So I'm thrilled that Cindy is joining us today. Welcome, Cindy, to Rewritten Me. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so welcome. Thank you. I know you and Joe are both incredibly busy, so it's, it's fabulous to have the opportunity for you to share this work that you've been doing and some of the results from it. Now, our second guest listeners will be familiar with. As you'll know, Dr. Joe is a Sydney-based reconstructive plastic surgeon and a clinical senior lecturer at University of Sydney. He has a particular focus on breast reconstruction and Dieppe flap reconstruction. His commitment to providing his patients with options that are not just up to date, but at the leading edge of surgical practice is reinforced by strong collaborations with innovators in all those fields, locally and internationally. So hi, Joe, welcome back. Hello, Juan. Thanks again for having me. No, thank you so much again for joining us and, you know, talking in more detail about this particular strategy that we talked about in that first episode. So that 
particular episode was focused on DEP strategies. So firstly, I wanted to ask Cindy, is this technique for DEP only or can it be done for other types of own tissue reconstruction, like the tug, for example? The answer is it is not just for DEP alone. It can be used in other types of autologous reconstruction with which Joe can talk to in greater detail. But importantly, it's a technique you can consider for implant-based reconstruction as well. There are some particular issues affecting Australian patients that will be different from the United States, which is where Joe and I uh, kind of learned the technique from. And I'll explain that a little later in greater detail. Uh, but it is something that you can do for both patients having implant-based reconstruction as well as using their own tissue. Great, great. Thank you. And is it for immediate reconstruction that happens at the time of mastectomy or can it be used for delayed DEP as well? Um, it is preferred if you can do it at the time of the uh, mastectomy, in other words, at immediate reconstruction. And the reason for that is the nerves are better identified, less scarred at that point in time. But I'll pass it on to Joe to answer what it would be like to do it as a delayed. The The problem that you have at that point is that you need ideally someone to have identified the nerve that has been transected that supplies the sensation and then Joe's got to find it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so it can be done with delayed. Um, just to, to chime in, I think that the, um, the lateral intercostal nerves, which we believe to be the more um, sort of dominant nerves for supplying sensation to the nipple are generally hard to find in a delayed setting because the breast has been removed. But we do manage to find the medial intercostal nerves um, and we have, we, we're usually able to rejoin those to the DF flap in a delayed setting as well. So it's something that can be offered in a delayed setting. Um, but uh, yeah, I would agree with Cindy. I think it's ideal um, to, well, firstly, it's ideal not to cut the nerve at all. But uh, yeah, the, then it, the second choice would be if it does have to be cut because of the tumour, then it can be rejoined immediately. Okay, great. Thank you. We're going to um, just talk to Cindy about that now, about the preserving of the nerve at the time of the mastectomy. But before we get onto that, I just want to pick up on those two terms that you mentioned there, Joe, the lateral and the medial, because could you explain to listeners what that you're talking about there? Yeah, so the nerve that provides sensation to the to the chest, um, wrap around from the spine, from the back to the front. So they come from posteriorly or from the back, they wrap around laterally around the side of the body and then they head towards the middle of the, the chest or where the sternum is. And so they give off branches around each side of the breast, the lateral intercostal nerve coming around the sort of the side of the breast and then the medial intercostal nerve wraps around the, the inside of the breast and both converge on the nipple but coming from different directions. And so we can use um, nerves coming from either side or, or both sides if they've been cut um, on both sides. But it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, we, we, go, we go looking for any cut nerve really, um, but our dominant one that we aim for is the lateral T4. And that's what Cindy's seeking to try and, and, and identify when she's doing a mastectomy. Um, and then the medial intercostal nerve we can find usually when we're doing the microsurgery because it sits right next to our blood vessels that we need to join the DF blood to. Okay, great, great. Thank you. So, Cindy, um, preserving the nerve is the pre the preference there. So, could you explain yes. a little bit about how you do that? And I was just wondering as well about those nerves. Do you know kind of um, where they are before surgery? Is there anything? Is there any scans or anything that's done beforehand, or is it about what what you find during the operation? If you could explain a bit about that for us. 
Sure, Luan. It's not uh, something you can identify easily on a scan. It doesn't turn up as easily on a scan. It's something that you, the surgeon knows the anatomy of, and generally people tend to have very similar anatomy. It doesn't hold true for everybody, but most women have a set area where I know that as I start doing the mastectomy, I'm going to start looking out in a particular area and I should come across the nerves unless they have some kind of variant in the anatomy. So I can't predict who I can preserve the nerve in. Okay. The problem is that most of the time, the nerve, so there's two main nerves that come out from the outside, the side of the breast that Joe was talking about. And uh, one is called the T4 and the other one is called the T5. And the T4 is the main nerve. Um, and the T refers to the thoracic spine level that they're at. Um, so most people will have two. The main one would be T4, and we aim for that. And sometimes we don't see that, and we might see a T5, or sometimes we might see both of them, and that's great. But for the vast majority of our patients, these nerves will then re-enter the breast. So they'll come out near the muscle, uh, mm -hmm. supply the skin, and then usually they start heading back into the breast to get up to the nipple. And this is where we have a problem because if you have the correct anatomy and I don't have to cut those nerves, then they'll just sit underneath the skin all the way up to the nipple and you are likely to have a much better sensory result. However, for most of my patients, the nerve starts heading back into the breast gland and I can't, I can't preserve it because to do that, I would have to leave the breast and the whole purpose of the mastectomy is to yeah. actually remove as much breast tissue as possible without buggering the skin. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for the vast majority of my patients, I have to transect the nerve. And that's where Joe comes into it. Okay, great, great. And before we chat to Joe about when he comes into it, what about if the nipple is removed there? So you mentioned there that that nerve does go if they have the correct anatomy and it's following where you'd expect it to it goes under the skin and up to the nipple and some people have their nipple removed don't they during a mastectomy does that they impact do. what you can then do does that then mean that that nerve needs reconstructing and joe needs to step in for that well it, it depends on what we're doing whether we're doing an implant-based reconstruction or tissue-based reconstruction if you're taking the nipple in an implant-based reconstruction there is no new nipple that's created at the time of the surgery. So that's pretty much a dead end for the patient. Okay. We can't uh, join anything to anything else because there is no new tissue brought in from elsewhere. There's no uh, little disc of skin from, say, the tummy created to create what we call a neonipple areola complex. But if there is a tissue-based reconstruction, which is uh, like a DEP reconstruction that I do with Joe, then that little disc of skin that Joe puts in to recreate the nipple, that can be re-innovated. Uh, and that's the difference between an implant-based reconstruction where you're taking out the nipple versus not. Now, if you do cut the nerves that supply the um, sensation going up to the nipple, what you can do is try and identify them at the nipple if you're keeping the nipple. So it is actually possible to then go looking for the little, little nerves that sit around the nipple area and see if you can then rejoin uh, those little nerves to other nerves that Joe can find uh, that act as like, um, like a bridge, I suppose, yeah. uh, between the 
cut nerve from T4 and the cut nerve at the nipple. Now, this is great if I have Joe because then Joe's able to, you know, go find some nerve somewhere and join it all back up. But this is a problem if I only have an implant and I don't have Joe. Um, yeah. And what we then try to do is we're looking at the concept of spare part nerves. In the United States, they have a product which is basically nerve graft. Therefore, it is possible for them to get this product off the shelf. It's frozen and you rehydrate it. And that is a nerve that acts as a bridge to reconnect the nerve that's cut at T4 versus, uh, to the nerves that are cut at the nipple. And so that is part of resensation mastectomy as opposed to sensation preservation, is, which is where we try our best not to cut the nerve at all. Um, and so unfortunately, because we don't have this product available, resensation mastectomy in um, implant-based reconstruction in Australia is much harder to achieve. There is a way around it, which is a little trickier, but possible to do and does require Joe. And that is to use what we call spare part nerves. So you remember I said that there was two nerves at least. It was the T4, the T5. So one of those mm -hmm. nerves could be a spare part. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also additionally other nerves that sit a little higher up. And as we do our mastectomy, we tend to encounter them and we tend to cut them because we don't uh, try to preserve those normally. However, if you do identify those nerves, you can dissect them out a little bit more, get a bit of length on them, and see if you can use them as the patient's own spare part nerve to bridge the two cut ends um, of the uh, sensory nerves. That would be ideal to do. It takes It's a little bit laborious. Joe and I have tried it, but the difficulty is in getting length. So what mm. you need to do is get a sufficient length that can go over the implant and join up the two ends. Uh, and when you have somebody with a reasonably sized implant, that can be difficult to do. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Great explanation as well. I know it's a challenge when we're doing podcasts to discuss this without the aid of graphics as well. So thank you so much, Cindy. That was um, that was a great explanation of that and an understanding of the difference with implants as well. You mentioned there that that does take a little bit longer. When you're doing a, a, a preservation a nerve preservation surgery, does that take longer than a, than it would another non-preserving yes, surgery? Yeah. It, it absolutely does because you have to take the time and the care to go and find that nerve okay. uh, and not to damage it. I, When it, we first started it, you can ask Joe, God, I would grumble and grumble and moan. And it would take me, I don't know, an additional probably about 30 to 40 minutes per side initially, but I've got it down now to about 20, 15 to 20 minutes. Great. I used to ask Joe all the time to identify them for me when I found them and just to double check them. And yeah. uh, more recently, I don't have to ask him anymore. I just know that they're there and I can dissect them out myself and tag them for him if mm -hmm. I have to cut them. Okay. Uh, so uh, it, basically, it's just uh, it's experience um, and practice. And the more you do it, the better you get. But I did say in a conference once, and I think Ziv Pellet was one of the... Um, surgeons that we uh, took this technique off has also reposted this but it takes joe and i you know an additional 20 minutes to do and that 20 minutes is this woman's entire lifetime of sensation yeah. so i think it is worthwhile doing yeah yeah thank you and you um so you mentioned that the, what the work you do there to preserve that nerve but that if you can't you mentioned the tags there um and i think from what joe said in our last pod 
that's where if you can't preserve them and they've had to be cut, you tag them. And that's when I think, Joe, you said that's when I come in um, and you do the reconstruction um, there. So what is it that you are doing then, Joe? once Cindy's talked to it a little bit there, but what is it that you're doing once the uh, nerve has been tagged and you need to do to do to do your side of things? Yeah, so I'm I'm looking to try and line up the nerve that Cindy's managed to preserve on the chest wall with a nerve that that sits on the undersurface of the Dieppe flap, mm-hmm. um, or or a tug the tug flap or any other own tissue where all of the the tissues of the body have nerve supply. And if we're careful and we look closely, um, you can always find these little tiny nerve branches. But the problem is, I don't think we've been looking. But I, I said this to Cindy and uh, and some of her colleagues that are also trying to do this operation. That once you've seen nerves, you can't unsee them. Um, and I think that's something which you know is a is a is an adage that you know, more hopefully more clinicians pick up on it. That that you, you as you're burning through, I always say to the registrars now, I'm like, this is a nerve. You know, it's being sacrificed on purpose. I'm not accidentally damaging it, but. You know, this is a nerve. I always point it out, and people just—it just looks like any other bit of tissue if you're not careful. So, you know, the, the work that Cindy's doing to carefully preserve these nerves then means I—I'm doing the same at the uh, at the undersurface of the diet flap, and then literally rejoining those two nerve endings together so that the the body's um, nerve supply can then travel back to the diet flap, and that gives people seems to be working quite well to give people a sense of where that breast is in space. Um, as well as the feeling of sensation of the skin, which is something that we're testing with the little monofilaments that we've we've, um, shown in in previous uh, webinars. Okay, great. Thank you. And do those tags come out then that um, that are uh, attached? Yeah, the tags are temporary. (laughs) Yeah. They're just to try and make it so when I go looking for the nerve, I can find it because they're they're, they're tiny. The reason why Cindy's asking me to come and look at these things is because I wear microscopic glasses. So not because I have better eyesight, you know, Cindy's eyesight's fine. It's just she she doesn't like wearing the the the, um, the microscopic glasses because it, it it slows you down, um, and you have to get used to it. And I've been wearing them for for years, so I'm used to it. But the um yeah that that's really they're hard to find, and so the tag is a temporary little mm. attachment which I remove before before joining the nerves together. Okay. Great, great, thank you. And we're talking there about some of the results that you were getting. I know in the last pod you made a reference to it, but um, I'm really interested to understand how you measure the return of that sensation or the preservation of that sensation, Cindy. How is that measured? Well, we have uh, these little monofilaments that Joe referred to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're called Semmes Weinstein filaments. And in fact, I got my first set of Joe's Christmas present. I think it's his I way saw, of saying yeah. join me in doing this. Um, and um, it's Joe or I who will do the initial uh, sensory testing, whoever's got the patient with them and has the ability to do it and the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have a set diagram that we follow. Uh, we ideally would do it in a warm room so that the patient's uh, not affected by a cold temperature because, as you know, the colder you get, the number you get. Yeah. Um, and then we document all of this before we do any surgery. And our time frames are to measure all of this again, are usually the six-month mark and then the one-year mark. And we kind of have to rely on each other sometimes to do these measurements. And sometimes there's all these text messages pinging backwards and forwards, like I did one today, saying to Joe, you know, there's a patient 
was supposed to come and see me in person so I could do this sensation preservation, went to the wrong place and I ended up having to do a telehealth, but you are seeing her soon. Can you please measure it for me? Yeah. Um, and so we, we have to communicate quite well about these things. Uh, and the other thing is that we all keep our data uh, uploaded kind of separately. So at some point we're going to have to merge it all so we can mm. get the, the best um, uh, data sets all merged together for these patients. Yeah, great. Quite good though because we don't actually know when we're doing the testing, we're not actually sure who's been renovated and who hasn't because you can't do it for everyone. Mm. Um, and so there's a little bit of a, it's not a randomization process. Essentially we're doing it for everyone who's a candidate, we're doing it. But I've even had some patients where only one breast could be um, innovated and the other one couldn't, but I didn't know which one was which. Mm. And so when I'm doing the testing. I'm, I'm, I don't even look in my notes. I don't, mm. I don't check before I do the testing. But it's never happened that they have sensation on the one we didn't innovate and, and the opposite and, and nothing on the other one. It's always followed that there's sensation on, on the breast we've mm. innovated and there's no sensation on the ones we haven't. I get quite um, excited and so, when I, I do the sensation yeah. testing, yeah. especially if like, so I'm doing, you know, sensation testing on this uh, neo nipple areola complex that Joe's created and, and the patient actually says, ow, because the monofilament is actually quite sharp and pricks them. And then I'll text Joe and I'll say, guess what? So-and-so actually had pain and this is coming back or, you know, or if there's something that's a little bit unusual, I'll text him to say, this is really weird. Yeah, but, but it's, it's something yeah. I haven't experienced before, but it's happened, and we we get quite excited about it. I think yeah. patients get quite excited too. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think you mentioned as well, Joe, uh, anecdotally in the last pod that we did together, that um, patients who are having uh, nipple tattooing done are actually fe- are actually feeling that, aren't they? That when they've had yeah. sensation, we used to say with tattooing that that uh, they didn't have to worry because it's still numb; they won't feel anything. And now we're having to put Mlar cream on, and um, you know, really kind of counsel people that we need to kind of get on and do the tattooing before the regeneration of the nerves because, you know, once the nerve supply comes back, it's like any tattoo that you know, kind of stings when the, when, the, when the skin's touched. But it's not – I wouldn't say that we're returning pain sensation because, you know, that's that's obviously only when we're testing it with, like, sharp needles and things. But the reality is a lot of a lot of people, particularly if people have had an, had an expander and radiotherapy where they really feel like they have no sensation. I think it was Georgie who did the current affair story and, and said that she could have been stabbed in the chest with a spike and and had no idea mm. um and she's someone i think cindy you saw her today I saw her today i saw her today and i did a sensation testing today and it was remarkable because it's now a year and um she had uh on her prophylactic mastectomy side i remember when she came back immediately post-operatively i did some sensation and she essentially had nothing and I was really quite disappointed because I thought, oh, you know, we've gone through all of this and there's, there's nothing. But what it is, is that the nerves are just shocked in the immediate post-operative period. So testing them immediately afterwards doesn't tend to give you any good results. Mm. Then you see them at the six-month mark and you get something back. And then you get to the one-year mark and you get even more sensation. And what's remarkable about her now is that in the last two weeks, and she's given me permission to tell you guys all of this. Um, right. In the last two weeks, she's actually developed temperature sensation. And that's one thing that we're not really measuring very well is temperature. So we're measuring pressure and we're measuring a little bit of pain, yeah. but we're not measuring temperature. And it would be great to be able to add that to our armament of uh, tools. But, you know, Joe and I have to kind of work out how we're going to do that in a standardized mm. fashion. Yeah. So on the other Walking side. around with ice cubes. <laughs> I know it's going to be hard, isn't it, Joe? 
And on the other side, where she didn't have, you know, the spike side, she actually is developing sensation back too. She's not getting as good sensation uh, compared to the prophylactic side where we could actually find all the nerves and do our best to preserve everything. Mm -hmm. But she's doing uh, pretty well compared to what she had before. That, that is really fascinating because I know I was talking to Joe particularly in the last pod we did together with regards to I don't have any of that sensation and, you know, um, that kind of feedback that you get from changes in temperature, even like if there's wind or anything like that. You don't really, I don't really feel it when I'm, when I'm um, on the beach, for instance. Um, but thinking about the... Um, Thinking about that numbness as well, and I know we've talked about this, Joe, before. I'm thinking now of the abdominal area because there is some work that you do, isn't there, to try and um, preserve the abdominal motor nerve. And I know for me, you know, I'm completely numb along there. And if I'm in the kitchen and I'm working at the uh, at the countertop, I get concerned that I'm going to push into something, you know, that and I'm not going to actually, like you say, uh, Cindy, that um, like if a knife or a spike went into me, I wouldn't know about that. But you're doing work, aren't you, Joe, about uh, motor nerve preservation at the abdomen? Yeah, and sensory nerve now, which is wow. hot off the presses. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I've actually been trying. I think I told you that I wasn't exactly thrilled with this area of permanent numbness between the belly button and the pubic hair that I was seeing routinely. And um, I've had a few cases recently where I've identified sensory nerves in the abdominoplasty flap and in, and in the abdominal wall. And I've been joining those up at the end of the abdominoplasty to try and get an earlier restoration of sensation to that central part of the belly. Um, and uh, I don't know yet whether it's going to work, but I, I can't see why it wouldn't. Um, so that's hot off the presses. But the um, the motor nerve is is really more about the function of the muscle. And that's, you know, to do you know, less about sensation, but really about making sure that the core muscle strength is optimal. And so, yeah, it's a nerve-preserving operation at the top end, at the bottom end, because on the top end, we want the sens sensory function of the breast. But on the tummy end, we really want the abdominal motor function and the core muscle strength to not be you know, damaged by, by this operation. Thank you. Thanks. Joe also uh, told me recently that we've just got our first tug flap resensation. Um, oh, wow. It's one year out. Yeah. Is that right, Joe? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we... so it's really interesting because it's not, it's been, there have been anatomical studies that have looked at tug flaps and they think it, theoretically it should, should innovate, but we've actually, um, yeah, seen seen that now in um, in data, which is really nice, and I'll obviously be sort of putting this stuff into publication with time. But it's it's um yeah, it's good to see that the even though the the nerve to the the tug flap also goes through muscle. There's a piece of muscle in the bottom of the tug um, called the gracilis muscle, and so some of those fibers clearly carry on to the skin and, and innovate the skin as well. So it's um yeah, it's really encouraging. Great, great. Now I look forward to um, reading those results because um, I know that you do put things out on social media about some of the papers that you write. So it's great to have access to that when it does come out. But that's really great, Joe, about the sensory um, work that you're doing there on the abdominal area because we have talked about how some women, particularly when they've had a double mastectomy with DEP as well, there is quite, can be. Uh, quite a large area where they don't have any sensations at all. So that's really fabulous to hear that work's being done as well. Thanks for sharing it on the pod as well quite early on. <laughs> You're welcome. So I guess if I was a patient now and I was hearing about this technique, I'd firstly be thinking, wow, 
But secondly, I would be thinking, okay, so this is a relatively new technique. What does that mean to me as a patient if it's not something as, uh, that's been as practiced as other techniques? What would you say to uh, a patient like that, Sydney, who might be concerned? Well, I think women have the right to be worried about this. Uh, as a technique in itself, it's not a particularly dangerous one. The, the most harm that I would expect out of this, and actually it's quite significant, is that instead of getting sensation, you get discomfort or pain, and that would be bad. Mm. But the data from uh, Ann and Ziv Pellet, who started this technique in San Francisco, has shown that they do not, and they have a, probably an additional two years of data on top of us, they don't get uh, pain as a result of joining these nerves up. And we're not experiencing that at all. So I think the first thing is that you don't want to do any harm, and it doesn't mm. sound like we're doing that. Uh, the second thing is that you want to raise the question to whichever surgeon list you go to, and it might be more than one surgeon who's involved in your operation, for example, if you have a plastic surgeon and a breast surgeon. And I think it's important for women to be able to express those concerns and to feel comfortable about being able to ask them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes, thank you. And as always, it's having those open conversations, isn't it, with your surgeon. If you have any concerns about anything, you know, letting your surgeon know what those are because they can talk to you and inform you um, about any concerns that you have. I might just add to that, which I think is, um, from my perspective, you know, everyone I think in, in our population expects innovation, expects improvement in constant improvement in quality of care. And so there's a sort of sense, that, and, and I feel a duty for that as a clinician, that we can't just be performing the operation that was performed, you know, 30 years ago and just say we're doing our job well. But we have to do it safely and in a manner that, you know, protects people from any harm. So there is an inherent conflict there. But I think the, the, the only ways that I know to do that is with honesty and an informed conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's really the key to it. Mm -hmm. And it's making sure that um, people know exactly how many of these we've done. I think Cindy and I are very open with that data. We're not trying to pretend that this is guaranteeing a result um, or that we we can, you know, we, we, we definitely believe this is best practice and that it's something that um, we, we assume and we, we believe is going to do good things. And we're seeing very good early encouraging results but we don't have um, scientific evidence of that. And uh, in our own practice, there is scientific evidence from overseas. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the conversation that we have to have. And it just, you know, hanging, held into a different conversation, but it's the same with introducing the robotic-assisted approach. Um, you know, we, we have to tread carefully and lightly with the right amount of training um, and honesty and, and an informed conversation. And I think that's, I uh, that's, that's my, yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, when I have these conversations with patients, I can tell them exactly when we started doing this. It was mm. September 2021. I remember the first patient very clearly. And I'll say to people, it takes you know a year, two, maybe more to get this kind of data. And we're really early in it. Mm. But it is very encouraging because now we're one and a half years down the track and we're really starting to see some results come through. But we're frank about it. Mm. We... We don't know if we're the only people in Australia doing this and whether or not there are other people who've started and have started collecting data. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd love for them to share that data with us if they're out there and they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, but Joe is right. Innovation and harm, kind of, they have to balance each other out. Uh, and fortunately, we have had people who have gone on before us to do this. And so mm. we were able to kind of draw from their experience, albeit during COVID times, which is slightly tricky. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, video conversation and stuff like that yeah. happening. Yeah. And that's with your colleagues, isn't it? You've just come back from San Francisco, yeah, Cindy, yeah. haven't you? And you've been out to um, meet with some of the surgeons that were, as you said, have gone before you. Yes, that's right. Well, that's where that's where I learned the technique from, actually. I think Joe and I were on the same webinar uh, for this particular technique. And at that time, social media played a massive role in all of this because mm. uh, it was uh, in the middle of COVID and you couldn't travel to see anybody. And I learned about this really through a webinar and then interacting on social media with the surgeon in San Francisco who uh, was working with her husband to do it. And so a lot of the initial conversation was basically just us texting each other going, how do you do this? And what do you do next? And what do you do next? And then watching some videos and, um, and then liaising with Joe. Um, and uh, eventually... Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that, Cindy, because my story is slightly parallel, which is actually, you know, interesting. It was uh, through the DFC um, journey website or Facebook group that I, that I really first got switched onto this through my colleague, Minas Chrysopolo who is also a plastic surgeon, um, as is Anne and Zip Paled. And I think um, uh, it was it was something that uh, we kind of converged. It was a convergence moment at this webinar. And I sort of looked at Cindy and said, I think it's time we had a look at this. And, you know, really what um, what what Minas is doing is is more for people who are following that that um, uh, that sort of PRMA group and the work that they're doing, that sort of trailblazing work, that's actually what they call true sense. Mm. Um, which is what I mentioned before about joining the nerve to the deep flap. And I think they use these phrases in America more than we do, but I think it's confusing for people if we don't kind of clarify what these terms are. Um, and so, yeah, so Minas really um, was very open, shared with me, I think, a textbook chapter that he was writing that hadn't been published yet. He sent me the draft, you know, without any hesitation. He sent me um, photographs and little videos and uh, and showed me that all this was possible and kind of opened my eyes to what's happening in the tummy area as much as even Anne did for, for Cindy in the breast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it really is, you know, I think that's, I'd love to do that for more people here in Australia and, and for other clinicians as well who maybe are looking at their own results and thinking, do it be nice to do, do mm-hmm. a better job? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. where Joe and I, uh, well, I feel that Joe and I are a little unique is that we're doing combination of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ziv and Ann don't do a lot of um, autologous reconstruction, so don't do tissue reconstruction. Um, and so it's it's kind of nice to work with a plastic surgeon where we have options, where mm-hmm. we can't preserve the nerve uh, and we don't have a nerve um, allograft, you know, that, that nerve off the shelf. I, I still have the ability to get Joe to do something different if I'm working with him. Um, and Joe has the ability to join up, you know, the T4 nerves. Mm-hmm if they are there to his DM. And so that's great that we have all of these different uh, ways of working around. I, I'm not sure how Minas, uh, breast surgeons, uh, manage his... Yeah, um, I don't think they're as well-linked well linked as we are. So I think, yeah. you know, the, the Chris O'Brien uh, yeah, approach the, that we the, have, um, which is... The working assuming. relationship is good, uh, mm. and it's great that it kind of all happened at the same time. Yeah, great. 
Great. And um, you mentioned there, Joe, I just wanted to do that shout out for DFC Foundation. Anyone who's listening, that's an American-based uh, not-for-profit run by Terry Cutie. Uh, it's about education around reconstruction options after a mastectomy. So do check that out. They've got an amazing um, range of resources and Terry's an all-round um awesome patient advocate champion she is she yeah. is yeah i still learn i still learn stuff from that that uh, forum yeah. i'll be honest like there's there's so many um perspectives there it's a really great safe place for for women with with uh, for considering mastectomy yeah yeah they're great they've got the forum as joe mentioned as well as youtube channels a podcast amazing podcast um lots of uh information evidence-based information as terry is an educator as well Always. Just, but i guess the question is around if there's somebody who's listening to this podcast now and this is a strategy this is something that they'd like to explore further for their reconstruction but if it's not being practiced more widely, how do you see that that might be, be happening? And what could a patient do if they want to talk to somebody, you know, and they're not in Sydney where it's being practiced? How would they uh, how would they approach that, do you think? I think most breast surgeons know each other in the country. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if there's a patient who's got a breast surgeon that they trust and like, it's very likely that I know who they are. And it's very yeah. likely that they have my phone number. So okay. just get them to call us. Great. Great. Yeah, likewise. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity to kind of to chat about it and we can share the results and the techniques and, and take it from there. Brilliant. Thank you. And as I think you've said previously, Joe, have, do have those conversations with your surgeon. If you've listened to this podcast and it is something that is of interest to you, let your surgeon know your hopes and your dreams for what your reconstruction is going to be, whether that's going to um, be something that they can do, maybe a different matter, but at least have the open discussion. As Cindy said, you know, wants to be having open discussions and conversations with her patients. So... Thank you so much. Um, sorry, Cindy. Hey, Luana, there's something else to add. Um, the education for this is probably going to really take off because I'm right. doing presentations on this in May and then I'm going to do it again in September nationally. So I think, I think you know, the idea that, you know, the, the Cindy-Joe um, duo for sensation and resensation a mistake to me is, is it's, it's not going to be just us it's going to be a whole bunch of people out there very shortly doing exactly this yeah so that'll be great so this is the start and you're going to be doing some conferences where you're going to be talking about this technique more widely yeah. so colleagues in australia topical, so yeah and i'm looking forward to sharing what we know great great i look forward to seeing you sharing that as well hopefully we'll see you on socials putting some of that out uh both cindy and joe do have instagram accounts i'll put them in the episode notes because they do share information about work that they're doing so thank you so much both of you um uh, it's a fascinating topic um and quite tricky to talk about as i said without graphic the aid of graphics but um it's good that listeners can get an understanding of what's happening, whether that is in their local uh, health area or um, outside of it, and then chat to their surgeons about these new innovations that are really having an impact on the lived experience of women after a reconstruction. So thank you so much, both of you. You're welcome. No problem. Thank Thanks you for having us. us. You're welcome. Um, as listeners know, I ask guests to share a lyric or a line from something that means something to them or relates to the topic that they've been talking about at the end of the pod. So, Cindy, I want to ask if you want to share your lyric or line with us um, 
and with the listeners. Yeah. Now, Joel wanted me to sing it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, uh, so it's Bruno Mars. And, mm-hmm. and the reason I've picked this is because yeah. so many women feel inadequate uh, about the decisions that they make, whether they have reconstruction or not. And I just wanted to let all of these women know uh, that they're amazing just the way you are. Perfect. Beautiful. I love a bit of Bruno Mars. That's amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. And Joe. So I found uh, a song by The Who. Um, she'd probably know the one. The, 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 uh, the song is entitled Sensation. And uh, the song goes, the lyric goes like this. You'll feel me coming, a new vibration. From afar, you'll see me. I'm a sensation. Soon you'll see me. Can't you feel me? Send your troubles dancing. He knows the answer. I'm coming. I'm a sensation. Great stuff. Great. I like that. Coming in 12 months, that's when the results will be for the sensation. That's right. Coming slowly. Getting there. We're that getting there. Coming. One yeah. millimeter at a time. Yeah. Yeah, one millimetre at a time. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank you. They're great lyrics. Thanks for sharing those for you. And, you know, you really, uh, next time you come on, please feel free to sing should you want to, (laughs) Joe. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks again to my guests, Cindy and Joe. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Rewritten Me and all the support that you've given to the pod over the last couple of episodes. Rewritten Me is an independent patient advocate initiative. Your help in increasing its reach to help support more women would be greatly appreciated. So if you've liked this episode, please um, subscribe, follow, share, rate and review. um, And let me know if there's any other topics that you'd like me to cover. But that is us done on this episode about sensation and nerve preservation. Thank you again, Cindy. Thank you for having me, Luan. You're welcome. And thank you again, Joe. It's a pleasure, Luan. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Kamaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.